I'd now like to welcome Chris Ranlan, who will introduce our speaker. Over to you, Chris. Thank you, Lucy. Assalamu alaikum, warmest greetings to everyone. And um, I'm very honored to introduce our speaker, Dr. Shoaib Eric Winkle, who is very well known to many of us here. As a brief introduction, I will simply highlight a few of those wonderful current work by Shoaib. Um, starting from since 2012, he has been translating the opening revealed in Makkah, the first ever translation and commentary of the Futuhat, envisioned as 19 volumes published by Peer Press. Parallel to this work, Shoaib is collaborating with communities worldwide to expand into new directions, including translation of an illustrated guide to Ibn Arabi, children's books, poetry, grammars, and glossaries for Ibn Arabi, and visual and creative artworks conveying the message of the Futuhat. There's such an exciting and wonderful um, collaborations, varied collaborations, and some of us here are already actively involved and, you know, and we'll be very happy to continue alongside Shoaib in these collaborations. And now I'm sure our audience are eager to hear from Shoaib himself. So let us warmly welcome Dr. Shoaib Eric Winkle, and the floor is yours. Please, Shoaib. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum. Greetings to everyone. It's uh, so wonderful to be here with many people I know and recognize. It's, it's very wonderful. Thank you. So let's uh, look at the uh, the feminine divine receptivity, Salma's house, and the half door. So we'll try to put all these things together with the senses. So those are how it's going to come together. I'm not quite sure. But we can start with the idea that we'll be looking at this uh, feminine divine, we'll be looking at receptivity, and we'll be looking at senses. And some of the images will be the Salma's house, and the other image will be the half doors. So let's let's just jump right in. It all starts for Ibn Arabi, it all, everything, the whole story that we want to know about is starts with, I am a treasure hidden or concealed in a treasure chest. So I am a treasure concealed in a, in a treasure chest. So Ibn Arabi is very clear that when you have the word treasure, you must have a treasure chest. So this treasure, which is hidden in a treasure chest is unseen. And so the story of why we're here is the story of how the unseen wants to become seen and recognized. So seen and recognized. And the reason that the unseen wants to be seen and recognized is the unseen wants to be loved, recognized, and seen. So we can ask why, why is creation here? It, it's like asking in a shadow play, why is there a curtain? It would be like asking in a, um, in a cosmos, why are there bodies? It could be asking in a, in a world of beings, why are there beings that have uh, earth flesh? And so, and in, and in all of the cosmos and everything that there is, why is there mother earth? So those are the, once we ask those questions, we're looking at why we're here and why there's this curtain, why there's Mother Earth, why there are human beings. And the answer 
is connects to I am a treasure concealed in a treasure chest and I long to be recognized. And of course, this hadith, this hadith Qudsi is one which is not canonical and it's not canonical for a very important reason. And there and some of the other very crucial uh, places where Ibn Arabi describes things to us are non-canonical. And that has to do with the with the way love works. So love works in a way we can understand that when we obligate someone to love us, that's not the kind of love that we want. When someone is uh, loving because of we've we've done something interactional, relational, uh, that's not the kind of the love that we want or that the divine wants. The kind of love that the divine wants is one that comes without any reason. And it comes without any sense of obligation. So because there's no sense, there's no obligation going on in this kind of love, all of the ones that all of the hadith or statements that sound like they are obliging us or offering us the opportunity to love. Because when I say, oh, I like to be loved, then the response to that love is one which is, isn't going, is going to be conditional and interrelational and obliged. So the only speech that we have about love is I only created the humans and the jinns to worship me. So that one completely gets out of the picture, the question of love and the question of that you have any feeling that you're obliged to love the divine. That I only create the humans and the jinn to worship me. So the, the divine, the feminine divine wants to be loved for herself. And to be loved for herself, she cannot show who she is. Because if she shows who she is, then she will be loved for that reason. So the divine, the feminine divine cannot be beautiful because then if she's loved, she's loved because she's beautiful. And she can't be uh, generous and giving rain and, and uh, helping the earth be fertile because then she's loved because she gives rain. She can't be loved because she provides nourishment because then she's loved because she provides nourishment. So how does she receive love without giving something that would make someone want to love her. So that, that's the question that and that's what Ibn Arabi then will will jump into and begin to and all of the things he's talking about now will be how is it possible to love the divine for not without any reason. So how is to have this spontaneous perfect love which has no reason behind it. So keep that in mind as we go, and, and, we'll, and we'll take it from there. So the first part of this story is the, the sigh which creates the mist. So I am a treasure concealed sigh. So you just know that when you say I am a treasure concealed and I long to be recognized, you can just see the, the vapor and the moist vapor coming out at that point. And so this is what Ibn Arabi says is the creation of the mist. The creation of the mist in the shadow play is the creation of the curtain. The creation of the mist is the background or the place upon which all of these, uh, this divine energy and radiation and sight and viewing will take place. 
So this background or the shadow play curtain or, or this uh, screen has to be receptive. And so to be receptive, it has to be Mother Earth. So in the 19 diagrams, when Ibn Arabi draws uh, Earth, it's very interesting, he doesn't label that one. So he talks, he, he, has, he labels his graph with the circles. There's the throne, there's the footstool, there's the all body, and then there's a blank circle. And the blank circle is Mother Earth, because the Earth is both inside and outside the cosmos. So that's absolutely crucial. She's inside the cosmos and outside the cosmos. Whereas uh, the, the throne is the cosmos. The th settling on the throne, the throne and encompasses the, the cosmos. But the Mother Earth is some outside, some inside. So this be, the, 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 what happens with Mother Earth is that she is then the beyond time, before time, after time, and during time, she is the receptive curtain for the vision, the view, the look into the mirror of the divine. So Ibn Arabi says, if it weren't for the, the fact that we know that angels are always worshiping God, then he said, I would wonder how they can always worship God because they're made out of light. And light is very strong, uh, even tending to arrogance and, and powerful. Whereas earth is humble and tracked and tracked upon and tractable. And so the lowest of the low track, track on, step on the mother earth. And so this is the, this is the quality of, of the mother earth. And this is the quality of us. And the reason this is a blessing is because we were, we are always receptive to the divine looking at the mirror and seeing us. So we always receive that. So it's like being in a shadow play with, and being a puppet. When the light comes from the projector, we can never bounce the light back off. We can never say, I don't want to be cast a shadow from this light. We can't. We're, that's, we were created to be receptive, and that's how we are. So the mist is this sigh, and from this sigh, the first created being uh, is created. And this, uh, the, the first created being is the light of Muhammad sallam, and this light uh, is, is, is receptive in, 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 in entirety, completely receptive. So the divine, the feminine divine who wants to be known now will come through as a doer as a looking, uh, a, a being that looks, of something that looks. And, and so this looking at what? It will look at something that which is receptive. So this is a masculine feminine. And so the, the receptive part is the light of Muhammad who receives this look. And when this being receives the look, the being looks and says, there's no reality but you. And so ex exclaims spontaneously in absolute devotion and praise, there's no reality but you. And then that reality looks and says, and you are the one who will convey my message. And you will be the one who conveys who I am. So who I am is the unseen which I am, the treasure which I am, which cannot be conveyed because it can't be seen, has to be conveyed by a being who receives the, the radiation of the sight 
and receives it in a curtain, receives it in a body, receives it in a simple being called the light of Muhammad. And so when we enter into time, we enter into Mother Earth and we continue to be always receptive, always receptive to these, to these views, these looks. So now we have, now let me take one of the other very crucial uh, statements that the heavens and the earth are not vastly spacious enough for me, but the heart of my slave who is faithful is. So Ibn Arabi, I, I was always watching for this and, and looking for this one. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely crucial for me to understand this in a some way that I can understand. So not as a kind of a philosophy or as a system, but as something that I can, I can understand. And so then in the in the illustrated guide um we have we have a poem with the when we when we're looking in the temple with the half door and uh so let's see if i can put that together so that we can have a have a look at that but this is the the page and i just about half an hour ago said oh that's why i that paragraph is there. So knowledge is the higher, highest vantage position provided from freely bestowed gifts. So knowledge is the highest vantage position provided from freely bestowed gifts. And kash is the most tremendous of ways and roots and the most obvious and clear. If you ask God the true searching, flow in this search abundantly as a kash because God gives it freely. Not continually at the door. Indeed, the door closes over the presumptuous I am, and the abundance of God will open the door. So knowledge is the highest vantage point. And so we'll just go straight to the middle of that. The, high, the reason that knowledge is the highest vantage position is because there it, knowledge is able to put together in one place what the heart sees and what the eye sees. So let's look at what the heart sees and what the eye sees. The heart is the place uh, where, where, which is the, the Kaaba, which is the, the, ho the house of the, the human heart, the house and the house of Allah, the house of God. And the Tajalli, the radiant brilliance that is, that is shining, that's coming from the divine, comes to our innermost place. And when it comes to the innermost place, the heart looks and sees the divine uh, manifestation, the divine vision, the divine energy, the divine being, which is creating us moment by moment by moment. But the eyes don't see that. So the heart sees Allah coming from the unseen to the seen, and the heart sees, the eyes do not. And then the eyes see the seen, but can't see the unseen. So the situation is that the heart says, I see, I see the divine, I see Allah, I see God, and the eyes say, I don't see. And the eyes say, I see this, and the heart says, I don't see that. So knowledge is the highest vantage position. If the heart and the eye can begin to understand and have certainty in the unseen. So what is unseen to the eye and what is unseen to the heart. And if that slave can have this faith in the unseen, then 
that knowledge will provide the highest vantage position. And then Allah will say, this heart is vastly spacious enough for me, while the heavens and the earth are not. So the eye has to have faith in the unseen to it, and the heart has to have faith in the unseen to it. And together, they work this way. So that's where the half doors will come into. So we'll look at the half doors. And in this half door, so we have the situation where we see a building and we see this, uh, the, the, the temple that we were looking at before. And we can sense and we can be aware that there's something inside. So we can be aware that there's something inside. We can be aware that somehow this, the divine uh, force is, is emanating, bringing something out into the scene. And it's behind this door. It's be inside this house. So we can be aware of that, but we don't know what's in there. And then if we open the doors and let light in, we look inside and we see there's nothing. So when something is seen, when we open the doors and everything is now seen, we no longer see what is in there because the unseen can't be seen. So the unseen can be, can one can be aware of it, but one can't see it. And then when something is seen, it's no longer the unseen. But I am a treasure concealed in a treasure chest. So the key then is the treasure chest, which is seen, which is visible. So the treasure chest, which is visible, contains the uncontainable, inaccessible, unseen. So the highest vantage position is to know that the unseen, that to see the unseen, to know with faith, with certainty, that what can't be seen is, and then what can't, what can be seen is the unseen also. And so to be able to see both at the same time. So one of the ways Ibn Arabi uses hu, lahu, everything is and isn't. So when we, when, when I look in a mirror and I see my image, my image is me, it's not me, and it's not not me. So this kind of knowledge is the knowledge that allows me to make a heart which is vastly spacious enough for the divine to reside. So the, the half door is when we have this place that we look inside, we can't see inside the doors, but we're aware that the unseen is there. So we're aware that this is where the divine is. It's in the, in the unseen, in the inaccessible unseen. If we open both of them, then everything becomes seen and the unseen is gone. And so the Zat is gone. She's gone because now the doors are open and everything is seen. When one door opens and one door stays closed, suddenly we're able to have knowledge. And knowledge is to say, because one door is open, the other door is closed, I can see that the seen and the unseen are the same. So the, the, the zat is unseen and seen. If I close both doors and say, okay, now I see things, then suddenly I don't see the zat anymore. So how can you see and not see at the same time? This is the, this is the, the dilemma or the, the experience of the divine. As we started out, how can the Zat be seen if she's not going to become beautiful or 
not going to be uh, an ocean. And say, because if she's an ocean, then everyone sees the ocean and says, that's the Zat. But that's not who the Zat is. There's something more. There's something more. There's something more. So how can the Zat show something and be seen and also be the unseen? And how can that happen at the same time? That happens at the same times with the half door open and the other half door closed. And so that if you can see the closed door, which is the scene, and know that it is that, so who, and you can also know that it is not who, lahu, and then you can look at the open part and say what is unseen is here in this other door scene. So if all of that can happen at the same time, then the Zat will say, now your heart is spacious enough for me, whereas the heavens and the earth are not. So the, the reason that this becomes, or the reason this becomes a difficulty for, for many people on the path, many people who are seekers, is that we are in a sense trained to look for the transcendent. We're trained to look for things that are not based on earth, not based on uh, form, not based on senses. So um, right now, let me just read, a, read something from the senses and I, and I can just read it to you. So All right, so Ibn Arabi is going to tell us about the senses and why the senses. Now hold this one in mind. So why are the senses important and why is this an obstacle to go to transcendence and the unseen and go away from Mother Earth and away from the senses? So Ibn Arabi is speaking to people who will have this natural uh, obstacle on their path. So he's going to talk about why the senses are everything. And he'll say, and do not presume, my friend, that my being singled out in this image by something that corresponds to the sensory faculty in the human being, actually in the animal, that this is a deficiency in me, a place lower than the spirit-based faculty. So the spirit-based faculty, like memory, imaginations, uh, Ibn Arabi says Allah will never correspond to them because they depend upon the senses. And Allah will not correspond to something that is a dependent. The senses are independent. And the senses then are exactly the entity of the divine. Because if this is my hand, and then Allah says, I become the hand with which he holds, then this hand from the senses has become the exactly the entity of Allah. No, do not so presume. In fact, the sensory faculties are the most complete of the faculties because they have the divine name, the one who dispenses bounties perpetually. You see, they dispense bounties perpetually to the spirit-based faculties. So all of our senses are providing data for the imagination, for the memory, for fantasy, for all of these, these spirit-based things. They are the raw material. The senses grab the raw material, which then the imagination and other senses use. So they, the senses provide the raw material that the spirit-based faculties use. For example, imagination, reflection, guarding in the memory, 
image-making, fantasy, and intellect. All of these faculties use the solid matter provided by these sensory faculties. So the intellect is a dependent. So the intellect depends upon what the senses are giving. And this is why God says about the one among his creatures he loves. I become the hearing by which it hears and the sight by which it sees. Now, he cites the forms that are sensory. He says nothing about the spirit-based faculties at all. He does not lower himself to the level of the spirit-based faculties. You see, their position is one of dependence on the senses, and the true will never descend to the position of someone depending on another. The senses are dependence on God, not depending on others. Therefore, he descends to the one who is dependent on him. He shares with no one. He provides the senses rich independence. So the senses, they are the ones taken from and received from. But they themselves do not take from the rest of the faculties. They take only from God. Now recognize the high vantage position of the senses and the true values of the senses, that the senses are exactly the entity of the true. This is why the configuration in the hereafter is completed only by the presence of the senses and the sensed, because they are completed only by the true. So the faculties of the senses are actually the kulafa, the ones behind whom God sees, hears, and so on, in the true dimension, in the earth of this configuration based on God. Therefore, be alerted to what I am calling your attention to, lest your dear heart be broken, when I bring you down to the alighting place of the sense-based faculties, broken because the senses are mean and contemptible according to you, while the intellect is noble, or so you think. No, I am teaching you here that the high vantage point and the nobility, this is all in the senses, and that you are unaware of your situation and your true value. Therefore, if you know yourself, you know your Lord. It is just as your Lord knows you and knows the universe by his knowing his own self, and you are his image. So inevitably, you will share with who in this knowing, and you will know who based on your knowing of yourself. One of the things that becomes very interesting here is that we're hearing why there's a problem with transcendence and, and having the intellect think that it is independent. And this is played out in the world that we're familiar with, with uh, masculinity, the man saying that I'm the uncle, and that the way that I am perceiving God is through transcendence, and that God is beyond my senses, beyond my body, beyond Mother Earth. And Ibn Arabi is saying, this is your grave error. This is your greatest obstacle because the senses are exactly the entity of the divine, of Huck. The senses are exactly Huck. And Mother Earth is the reception of the divine Tajalli. So to try to transcend Mother Earth is to say, I want to transcend the Tajalli of Allah. I don't want to see God because God is visible in the curtain of the shadow play in the reception of the Mother Earth, and to say that I don't want to see that is to say that you don't want to see the divine. To say that 
uh, this, I need to transcend my senses and go into my mind or into my intellect is to say, I want to go to, to the next to the, what is dependent on the senses. I don't, and so we're, we're lost with that. So the divine is saying, how am I going to show who I am? Because I am always unseen and what, and whatever I show, there is still the unseen. So how, how is that going to work? So this is the Ibn Arabi's uh, question to us. How, how does that work? What's going to happen? And this happens in, the, in our plane of, of humanity. We have that within ourselves. We say, how can I know myself? How can I know another? And know that the other is a veil and inside the other is the reflection of the divine and is the entity of the divine. So how can I see someone and a hand and say, this is the entity of Huck and still know that there is the unseen? How can I do that at the same time? If I can do it at the same time, then my heart is spacious enough for the divine to make a house there. So this is the, the challenge of the spiritual past, which is the sensory past, is the challenge of understanding how the body is exactly the entity of the divine and is who and lahu, not who at the same time. So forever being transcended and saying, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not. This is a, this is a, a great um, obstacle. And Ibn Arabi says, Lo, I'll have, don't let me break your heart to tell you that the senses are actually the highest vantage position. And this curtain of the shadow play, the bodies that we are in, the mother earth as the, the, the plane, which is both inside and outside the cosmos, this is the reception of the divine. This is how the divine sees herself. And if we say, I want to transcend that, we are saying that we don't want the divine to see herself. So, uh, so I am a treasure necessarily concealed in a treasure chest. So I create the treasure chest, which is humanity. And I introduce myself to them, which means I say, look at yourself. You are both me and not me at the same time. You are me and you are not me. The way I look at my, in a mirror and I say, it's me and it's not me. So I create and I introduce them to myself because if the, if the Zat, if the divine, if Huck is, reveals herself and says, this is the complete self, and we see that, then we love for a reason. And we are not loving for no reason, for just pure, spontaneous love. So pure, spontaneous love requires that we look at what's limited, this hand, and we know that it is unlimited at the same time. That the, that the senses that I have are exactly the entity of Huck at the same time as they are not the entity of, the, of Huck. And if I can see that at both at the same time, then I have a half door open and a half door closed. And 
what I perceive and experience is something which makes my heart vastly spacious enough for the divine when the heavens and the earth are not. So that's, uh, let's, let's maybe end there. Uh, so from the way to work with this is to take that very, sounds very simple, we've heard it many times, to really live this one, my heart, what is a heart which is vastly spacious enough for the divine when the heavens and the earth are not? How can I see that receptivity and the senses and Mother Earth are the highest noble vantage point there is? How can I see the dangers of transcendence and the futility of this maybe, you know, active, aql, masculine way of looking at the world? The futility of that and see instead that Mother Earth is both inside the cosmos and outside the cosmos and created in order for the Zat to see herself. And there it is, alhamdulillah. So. Thank you, Eric, for such a wonderful presentation and may I say celebration of embodiment.